Amen. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, open to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. Let me say, good job being here tonight. I'm glad that you made the effort tonight. Uh, I think it's important that we gather tonight and hear uh, the Word of God, sing His praises together. Good job in being here. Tonight we're back at it. We're back at our study in the book of Proverbs. Uh, we're back at it, a section of Proverbs called the 30 Sayings. We are about three weeks into this section. Uh, I like to frame where we are at like this. Now, I want you to think about this. God himself says, here are 30 separate things that you need to know. God himself says, here are 30 separate things that you ought to remember. Here are 30 separate things that you are to operate by. And I think about that. Of all the things uh, that God has said, all the marvels of his word, here God says, I deem these 30 sayings, these 30 things as necessary and valuable. Well, if it's framed like that, I want to tell you, if that's what God thinks, if that's what God is telling us, then I surely want to listen. Well, God says here are 30 things that we ought to know, that we ought to remember, and that we ought to operate by. So we're back at it tonight, moving through the 30 sayings. Tonight we're starting with the seventh saying. Uh, we're not moving through them very quickly. We're starting with the seventh saying in Proverbs chapter 23, tonight beginning in verse 4. Now the, the saying here tonight, the seventh saying, is actually found in verse 4 and 5. Let me read those verses together. God's word says this. Here we go. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings, like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Now, let me read those two verses again. The seventh saying, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Here in the fourth verse, we find the command. We find the instruction of God. Then in the fifth verse, we find its explanation. The fourth verse starts off, and it says, do not weary yourself. Now listen to these words. They're very important. Do not weary yourself. That word in the original language means tire, exhaust. Do not exhaust. A literal translation, to deplete. Do not deplete. So it says, do not tire yourself. Do not exhaust yourself. Do not deplete yourself to gain wealth. It says, cease from your consideration from it. Now, I want you to be sure and understand this. It seems like maybe that's a contradiction to some of the things we have learned. Be sure and understand, this is not a call to be lazy. This is not a call not to work. Well, I'm not going to work. It's not a call to be a freeloader or a professional mooch. That's not what it's telling us. That's not what it's saying. The word here for consideration. It is a word that means your opinion of it or your wisdom of it. Cease from your consideration of it. Now, what that means is it is your opinion of the subject of wealth. 
It means that you believe wealth is your answer. Wealth is your hope. Wealth is your security. Whatever happens, at least I have my wealth. It means wealth is your joy. Sounds like the day that we're living in, doesn't it? It means wealth is your status. How will you be known? By your wealth. It means wealth is your victory. It's your opinion of it, your consideration of it. You hold that value of wealth, and so the verse says you set out to get it, and see this, you exhaust yourself to acquire it. Now, I want you to see the picture here, and, and really it's a pretty clear picture. Here's the picture. You are being exhausted while your wealth is growing. That's the picture. You are being depleted. That's the, that's the translation. You are being depleted, so the stack of your wealth continues to grow. Now, see what's happening here. You're being depleted. You're, you're, you're wearing out while the stack of your wealth is growing. Now, here's what's happening. You're trading yourself for wealth. And I think you look around, that's what we do. That's actually what we teach you know what, if you'll get this education and get this job, and if you'll move from that job to this job, if you'll go into this industry, if you'll pursue these things, you will acquire wealth. That is the goal. And you're actually trading yourself, depleting yourself to stack wealth in a pile. Well, here's what God says. Do not do that. Now, he says work. He says that's how we eat. He says work. That's how we find value. He says, do not be lazy. He has a whole lot of verses about being lazy, but he's saying, do not focus on the understanding of wealth so much that you would trade yourself for your wealth. Now, here he gives us the answer why in verse 5. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. God says in verse 5 that wealth does not last. Wealth, no matter how large the stack, no matter how well protected, how well planned for the stack is, is never secure. Wealth is never secure. That's what God says. When you set your eyes on it, that's how the verse starts off. When you set your eyes on it, here's what I learned a long time ago playing football. I had a football coach that told us this. And actually, if you think about it, it goes for all living things. But here's how it goes. Where your eyes go, your head goes. And where your head goes, your body follows. Now, that's what he was teaching us, that if I could turn somebody's head... I can turn the direction of their body. If you want to turn somebody, turn their head. If you're looking in a direction, you're going to follow the way that you're looking. That's what he was teaching. But that holds true in all areas of life. Where your eyes go, your head will go. And where your head goes, eventually your body will follow. Now the picture is this. See this. You fix your eyes on wealth. You have this consideration of wealth. That's my hope. That's my joy. That's my status. That's going to be my victory. And so you fix your eyes on wealth. Then you turn and you set your head to get it. My head, my thoughts, 
my time, my head is set to get it, and then your body is given to the effort. You put your eyes there, your head turns and is set there, and then your body is given to the effort. You are single-mindedly focused on the accumulation of wealth. And then here's what the verse says, and then it's gone. You're pushing, you're driving, your eyes, your effort is set there, and it is gone. Like a bird that flutters and flies off, it is gone. Listen to me. As believers, be sure of this. Our security, our peace, our success, our victory, our status, our hope are not found in wealth. They are to be found in Jesus Christ alone. That's the teaching of Scripture. Yes, we work. Yes, we take care of our families. But that is not our drive. That is not our motivation. As believers, all of those things are fixed on, set in, and answered in Jesus. Our mind is fixed on Jesus. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. All right, saying number eight, verses six, seven, and eight. Three verses together. Saying number eight says this. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says, do you eat and drink? But his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments. Now, I want you to think, God cares about this. God is instructing us in this. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments. Now, there are several aspects to this eighth saying. There are several pieces of it, and all of them are really working together, moving together. First is this. We are to weigh the motivations of others. Now, we saw that last week. We are to be smart. We're to be wise, and we are to consider the motivations of other people. Then, the second thing, we are to consider who we are going to be close to. That's what it's teaching. We're to consider the people that we'll trust and that we will be close to. Now, one of the ways to evaluate that is to notice, is to decide, to determine, is a person selfish? Okay, you're, you're weighing the motivation of others. You're considering who you're going to be close to. Well, one of the ways you're going to do that, one of the criteria you're going to observe, is a person selfish? Now, there's a lot that goes into selfishness. It really means self-serving. It means self-occupied. It's really about me. That's, that's why my expression is selfish. And it shows up, very simply, in generosity or a lack of generosity. Now, while this is going to be simple, and maybe it's so simple it's hurtful, but here it is. It's very simple, this observation. Here's the, t here's the truth. A generous person is about others. Easy as that. You want to know the heart of a person? A generous person is about others. Listen to this. 
and a non-generous person is about themselves. Hey, I want to know their heart. I want to know what they're really like. I want to know, should this be a close associate of mine? Well, here's what the Bible says. A generous person, they're about others. A selfish person, they are about themselves. You want to know what a person's heart is like, you look and you watch and you see if they're generous. Now, the picture of this verse, this selfish person says, come on to dinner. That's why it's an invitation. Come on to dinner. Sit at my table. Come and eat. But in his mind, the picture, he knows he seeks something else. There's a different motivation. He wants something. I don't know. He may be trying to impress somebody. He may be seeking something. But there's a different motivation. And so his heart holds true to what he's doing. And so even though his words are saying, eat and drink, eat and drink, his mind is saying, Hey, friend, not so heavy on the ribeyes. That's what he's thinking. Hey, eat, drink, get you some more. Get seconds. I didn't really mean get seconds. They actually got them. Here's a great declaration. They say these things. They don't mean them. It's a revelation of their heart. Here's a great declaration. His heart is not with you. What a profound statement. Their heart is not with you. Here's what I've noticed, and I don't know if it's human nature, I don't know if it's the way of the world, I don't know if it's our natural sinful inclination, but you know what? Most people, and I hate to say that, they may be nice, they may seem neutral, they may be fine, but you know what? No matter what they say, their heart is not with you. And you know what? We need people around us that their heart is with us. And when they live, they say, it's you first and I serve you, and I want to bless you, and I exist that you would be happy and joy-filled. We need people that their hearts are with us. In verse 8, it says this, You will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments. Now I want to go back to the picture of what's happening. They're at the dinner table. The guy says, come. He has a bad motivation. He's, he wants something. He's saying, get all you want. Eat all you want. He doesn't really believe that. And you're down there at the end of the table, and you're just all happy and dumb, and you're just eating biscuits. And you're, you're just glad. You're, these are good biscuits, and you know what? That's a great steak. And you're down there, and you're just dumb and smiling, and your shirt's getting tight, and you're saying, you're so nice, and what a nice house you have, and what a good, what a good dinner we have, and oh, this is so good. And the Bible says that at the end, the truth will be revealed. The truth will come out. It says you will be harmed. The false motivation, his heart's not with you. That's not what they really believe. And there's a grotesque picture here. There'll be wasted compliments. They're not true. And you will vomit up what you have eaten. I want to think about this for a second. I'm, you don't answer out loud because you may say something else. I don't know, but I want you to think about this. What does our world today truly think about crazily generous people? Now, I want you to actually think about that. What does our world say about crazily, truly generous people? They're foolish. They're clownish. They're gullible. 
They'll never have anything. You know what that'll give you the shirt off their back? They're, they're never going to have anything. That's, that's not prudent. Now, we wouldn't say that. We, we like to say, oh, they're generous. But the truth is, we think that's, that's foolish. A person says, look how stingy they are. And somebody else says, yeah, that's why they're rich. I want you to think about Jesus. Nothing held back. Not even his own life. No reserve. He didn't keep a reserve. I might need this for a rainy day. Generous doesn't even begin to describe Jesus. I, I was thinking about some of the people that he praises. The woman with the alabaster jar. Generous doesn't even begin to describe it. The boy with his lunch. We, we, we like the miracle, but there was a boy that gave up his lunch. The widow with the two mites that dropped in the treasury. And he gave out of his surplus. And she gave all that she had as it falls in the treasury. Let me tell you something from this saying. Here's what we ought to learn. We ought to surround ourselves with radically generous people. That's, a, that's one thing. We ought to sur surround ourselves that it's about other people, not them. Radically generous people. And then the, the part that we need to take, I think, most out of that is this. We ought to seek to be generous people. And that's not in our nature. We still have something. Well, I got to take care of me. We ought to seek to be generous people like our Savior, Jesus. All right, the ninth saying happens to be in the ninth verse. It says this, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Now, God wants us to know that. God wants us to understand that. God wants us to operate according to that wisdom. That's a pretty profound thing. Evidently, it's a big thing. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Remember in our study, now this is something that's come up several times. There are a couple different types of people. An ignorant person, the per, a person that the Bible calls ignorant, there are those folks, an ignorant person does not have the facts. They do not possess the truth. They are ignorant. They do not know. And so you know what? There's people they haven't heard. They haven't thought about it. They don't know. They do not possess the truth. They are ignorant. And a foolish person, this is a different type of person. This is a person that has the facts, that knows the truth, but chooses not to operate in it. And so what? if you do this, it's going to end poorly for you. If you do this, it's a sin against God. If you do this, it's going to reflect negatively against God. They possess the truth, but for whatever reason, they choose not to operate in it. They are foolish. Now, as we read the, the book of Proverbs, we see God has contempt for foolish people. Really, that's the root of sin. That's, that's our sin nature. We, we know the right, and yet we do the wrong. Well, here's what the Bible says. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool. Now, I'm going to translate that. We might say, do not waste your words on a fool. Do not, God says that's going to be important. Do not waste your words on a fool. Do not think that you can expound or you can explain the situation, what you're trying to, to say, 
Because they are foolish, the truth doesn't matter to them. Because, the, because they are foolish, the truth doesn't impact them. And so you're sitting there going, if I could just say it right, if I could just make them understand, surely it's going to make sense. And you're trying and you're speaking, but they are foolish. The truth doesn't impact them. It says why? Why, don't, why not waste your words on them? For he will despise the wisdom of your words. Now, I think that's a very interesting picture. They will despise the wisdom of your words. Let me give you an example. If I tell you that fillets are better than ribeyes, and you're ignorant of that, you don't know that, and so you say, no, ribeyes are better than fillets. And I don't know why my example keeps going back to steaks tonight. I know, I know what I'm going to have tomorrow night, I think. I say, you know what? Fillets are better. And you say, no, ribeyes are better. You know, we can talk about that. And you can say, well, I like the fat and the ribeye, and I like how it tastes. And you say, well, I like this. And we can talk about that. We can disagree on that. We can try to prove it. I could bring some out, and you could bring some over. We could, we could, we could talk about it. We could see what other people think. We might disagree, but at the end of the day, you know what it is? It's no big deal. Now, you're going to be wrong, but it's going to be no big deal. Let me tell you this. How do you know you're talking to a fool? Watch this. Because they disagree in anger. You ever notice that? They get mad. And I don't care if it's as dumb as talking about stakes. They, they disagree in rage and what you're saying begins to anger them, and I don't care what the subject is, I don't care how small it is, they become contentious, and you say, well, here's the truth, here's what I think, and they begin to get offended, and they begin to launch off on you. But I want to tell you this, especially if your words are not inconsequential, especially if your words do matter, especially if your words are the truth, they become mad and they can't hear your words and they won't listen to your words and they're thinking about how they're going to attack you. The Bible says it's because they despise the wisdom of your words. How do you know if you're dealing with a fool? Because they disagree in anger. Most of the time, I'll tell you this, if they can't attack the truth, they begin to attack you. And so the subject changes. Now it's about you and that's how they turn it. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. You know what God says that you might have peace? <laughs> so that you might, you might have a happy day. That you wouldn't get sidetracked. He says, be thoughtful, be careful, be deliberate. And do not waste your words on a fool that's not going to listen. Can't hear. God actually says that. Be careful to who you speak to. Do not waste your words on a person that can't hear truth and won't operate accordingly. I'm going to stop right there tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight again. We praise you, we worship you, and we thank you.
We exalt you. We do know our hope is well grounded in you, that our hope holds in you, that your truth, that we can take confidence in it, that it will stand. We're thankful that we have peace in Christ and peace in your word if we'll walk it out, live it out. So, Lord, we exalt you. We thank you tonight. Lord, we come, and I pray uh, for, again, so many issues going on for kids going back to school, uh, kids, young kids, older kids, kids leaving for college, for, for parents that are watching the changes. I pray, Lord, that we would look to you and how to do that, that we would seek to honor you in every step, peace of that. Lord, I pray for, again, some that have suffered loss. I pray for the, the Spencer family. Lord, I'm thankful for, for Tom how he was a blessing to this church, an encouragement to this church. I pray that you'd be with this family. Bless them in the days that are ahead. Lord, we come, and, and so many other things. I pray for folks that are healing up, that have just come through surgeries, that are ill. I pray that you'd bless them, encourage them, strengthen them as well. Lord, I pray for, for families in our church, for young people in our church, for, for single folks, for older folks. Lord, I pray we'd be driven by your word, corrected, led by your word, that we would be different. We wouldn't look like the world we live in. And I pray that that would point back to you. And then, Lord, we come and we end this day by saying we can't imagine your love, how great it is and how great it must be that we really can't fathom the extent of it. Lord, I pray that we would respond likewise as you have loved us, that we would respond in love toward you and toward those that you also love, help us be agents of peace, agents of good news. Lord, we just say thank you. We praise you and we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.